So let's all stand together at this time and we'll reverence the reading of God's Word in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, today a message I call, When Your Son Asks. Deuteronomy 6.20 When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. Now, for the most part, we will save the consideration of the actual text that I've just read to you until next Sunday morning. This turned into a two-part sermon. I intended it to be one. And I know, though you don't know, uh, but I know that y'all are grateful that I do that uh, because uh, otherwise we'd be here for an hour or a little more. And uh, I don't like to hurry. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. It deserves our attention. And uh, I know it will be a blessing to us today and next week on Father's Day to consider uh, the great truths that are presented here. In a way, the whole theme of the book of Deuteronomy is found here in this passage, and it's a simple statement. He brought us out from there, that was Egypt, that he might bring us in. You see, God doesn't just intend to get us out of our sins, out of Egypt out of bondage. God intends to bring us in to his fullness, to his glory. He brings us out so that he might bring us in. The book of Deuteronomy is actually a Greek word. Uh, The name itself is, and it means second law, second law. It is a series of discourses. We've been preaching through uh, uh, the life of Moses, Moses the man of God. And now before Moses dies and goes on to heaven, uh, Moses is going to give us then this series of messages uh, that is the book of Deuteronomy. Moses was speaking to a new generation. Many of the people that he was addressing were born in the wilderness. They had never known anything else. Many of them were born in Egypt, but by the time they left Egypt, they were so young, they really don't remember that much about it. Uh, All of their life for the last 40 years has been involved in following Moses. And uh, and so this was a new generation. They would have new experiences. Uh, They'd had, for the most part, the same diet for 40 years, and they'd done well on it. Bread from heaven, pretty good stuff. But now that was going to stop. They'd be uh, planting crops and harvesting and raising livestock and providing their own food. They'd have new experiences. They'd no longer be led by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They'd have to learn uh, that God was still with them, even though they did not have that visible reminder of his presence. Moses had a new revelation. So there was a new generation. There was new possessions, their, their, their fields and their houses. They, they would have new experiences, but he also had 
a new revelation for them in this second law. Uh, We see it in God's first commandment to them. And he reminds them of it here. In fact, he's, it's remind, he'll remind it of it 14 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Love God. Over and over and over and over again, Moses would give them this. But that's not the new revelation. Remember, that was the first commandment that he had given them all the way back, that they would worship God and love God. But now he gives them something new. Now he's going to tell them that God loved them. God loved them. The love of God is not stated in the book of Genesis. It's not stated in the book of Exodus. It's not stated in Numbers. It's not stated in Leviticus. It's all the way here in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses is going to tell them, not that we love God, but that God loves us. God loves us. It's right there in the next chapter, Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Again in verse 13, he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He also will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. God loves you and he will love you. And in a way, from this time on throughout the scripture, it is a revelation of our ever increasing understanding of how much God loves us. Perhaps culminates in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. All the way over near to the end of the book of of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested or revealed the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Israel, you see, at the time of Moses was headed into a pagan land with strange customs and strange gods. It would require more than the law. With all of its rigid demands and instructions. With all of its rules and regulations. It would take more than that. To deliver them from the powerful pull of sin and of the world. It still does. It takes a heart full of the love of God. Secure then in the knowledge that God loves us back. 
So that we love God and God loves us. And then John tells us, and because then we know that God loves us, we also love one another. And so we had those two greatest commandments that Jesus told us about. How that we are to love God and then love one another. And both of them are covered. Why do we love one another? Because God loves us. Why do we love God? Because God loves us. So secure in that knowledge then of the love of God compelled then to move in love and love for one another and in all it is God's incredible love for us we love him because he loved first loved us it should come as no surprise that Moses then would call on them with the last series of messages that he was going to preach over and over again he called them to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. And then to teach your children to love God. What a critical moment this is. What an incredible passage. And so we'll dive into it. Moses would tell them in his first point, put the word, this word that I have given you in your hearts. If you read back, you don't have to do it now, but maybe sometime this afternoon, if you read back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you'll find that Moses repeated the Ten Commandments to them. Same Ten Commandments that we find in the book of Exodus. So when he brings this up in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6, he is uh, already just building on what he had just said. Uh, He had told them in verse 4 and 5 to love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so uh, it is not just that, but then all of those commandments that came before them that he refers to in verse 6, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Number one then. He calls on these people, primarily the parents, especially the fathers, the dads. And the first thing he says, hide these words in your heart. Put these words in your heart. This was probably this passage that was prompting the psalmist to say in Psalm 119 and verse 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 and verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. Uh, I believe as a pastor, we believe as a church that this is an important matter for us all. It is well demonstrated in our Sunday morning worship, of course. We don't just... Uh, have have a little bit of Bible <laughs> uh, when I preach to you on Sunday morning. I, I, I put the Word of God out to you. I'm not bragging, not boasting. I, I preach the old book the old way. That's all I know how to do. If I'm just standing up here telling you my opinion, I have nothing to say because my opinion is of no more value than anyone else's. But if I am preaching to you the Word of God, then I am preaching to you a message that carries with it the authority that the Word of God has. Preach the word. That's what the Bible told us to do. That's what they told me to do long ago when they ordained me. I've spent a lifetime trying to do it. Preach the word of God. 
But we show that commitment as well in our Sunday school where our teachers teach the Bible. And our vacation Bible school here in a few weeks will be teaching the Bible. In our WANA program, the WANA program is all about teaching children to hide the Word of God in their hearts, memorizing Scripture, memorizing Scriptures. We used to call it the M&Ms, memorize and meditate. Memorize and meditate. Memorize it. Then you think about it. We'll talk more about that later. It is vital for us then to commit the Word of God to our hearts. And so I ask you, parents and grandparents, here in the crowd today, as well as our children, is the Word of God in your hearts? You see, before Moses is going to tell them to teach it to your children, he says, first of all, you hide it in your own heart. Parents, grandparents, how are you doing at putting the Word of God in your heart? Do you read it regularly? Does it work in your life the way that the Bible says that it should? James chapter 1 verse 21. James said, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of weakness, wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Simon Peter would speak of it as well in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And so the word of God then has an eternal work that it creates in us because it carries in it the gospel truth and that gospel then is able to save us. But then it goes beyond that. James says receive with meekness the implanted word. Oh, that's a great word. Implanted. A seed that has lodged in your heart. Puts down deep roots. And grows up a big plant. It might be a cotton plant. It might be a cocoa burr. I've always thought, man, if we could just get everything that had the tenacity of a cocoa burr. Once it's planted, it's so hard to get rid of those things. Dandelions, all kinds of things, all kinds of seeds that are implanted. Some good, some bad. And they have deep roots. They go down deep in the soil and then they produce a crop. James says, you receive with meekness, that submission, the word of God. Let it be planted deeply in your hearts so that it bears a crop. And what does it do then? He says, well, be doers of the word and not hearers only. He'll go on to describe how a person who hears the scripture, who knows what the Bible says, but who ignores it, is like a person who looks in the mirror, but then goes their way and forgets what manner of person there was. Now, now why do you look in the mirror? We all look in the mirror for the same reason. We're going to check our due. <laughs> you know, make sure everything's buttoned and zipped properly and... Yeah. I got ready to go preach a revival one night. I got all dressed, took a shower. I promised I put my product in my hair. I did. And I forgot it. Didn't run a comb through it. Nothing. My hair was a little long at the time, much longer than it is now. I got my summer look going now. But 
I'm telling you, I walked out the door. I don't know why Nancy let me do it. I, I don't know. <laughs> she was probably just enjoying herself. And, uh, I walked out, going to that revival meeting. My hair was just a mess. It's everywhere. Thank the Lord I happened to catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror. You know, what was amazing to me was how many people I had walked right by, and not one of them had ever said, Brother Rich, you forgot to comb your hair. Wouldn't it be bad to look at the mirror and say, man, I, I, need, to, I need to fix my hair. I've got my suit button wrong. I've, I didn't button my shirt up right. To see something that's out of place. And do nothing. We don't treat a mirror that way. See, when the mirror shows us that something is wrong... We respond to that. We react to it. We do something with it. And that's what James was talking about in James when he told us, don't be just a hearer of the word and not a doer. Because if you do, you're like a person who looks in the mirror and then walks away and does nothing to correct what they see. Don't be like that. When the Word of God convicts you, respond. If the Word of God shows you that something is wrong, then respond. If the Word of God is under, it's convicting you that you need to be saved, be saved. If the Word of God is convicting you that you need to follow the Lord in baptism, then do it. If the Word of God convicts you of something that you need to do or something that you need to stop doing, then respond. Be not just a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. Well, the Bible's such a big book, Brother Rich. It has so much stuff in it. Where do I start? It's a good place to start where Moses started. What Jesus called the first and the greatest commandment and the second that's likened to it. Start out with the love of God. Remind yourself of how much God loves us and how he showed us that in Jesus Christ. So because when we love him with all our heart and with all our soul and all our strength and then we teach our children to love God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength. You know the Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. That is that love has a remarkable way of getting us through a lot of bad experiences. Just knowing that God loves me and that I love him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live or live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You see, such compelling love requires a response on our part. And so we need to know that first ourselves, but then pass that along. Hide God's word in your heart. And then he says, teach this to your children. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, this is a very famous passage, and I know it. It's no telling how many sermons you've heard preached over it over the years, and this morning you're going to hear one more. And you are hearing one more. So we hide God's word in our own hearts 
And then he tells them, pass this word then on to your children. And he uses a number of verbs, action words, to show us how this is accomplished. The first one, he says, teach them. Teach them diligently, seriously, regularly. Teach them with diligence. Teach them diligently to your children. Now, we have embraced the idea for the most part as Americans that the education of our children is best left to professionals. Uh, The homeschool movement in our culture has taken exception to this. And more and more families, parents, are taking on the task of providing for the complete education of their children. Now, this whole situation is up for debate, up for a lot of discussion. But for the most part, both in our culture and in our government, uh, we are content to allow parents to make their own decisions about this, whether they're going to send their children to public school and let somebody else provide for their education, or whether they're going to keep them at home and educate themselves. We respect each other's decisions about this. And we can debate, and we do debate. And by we, I'm not talking about myself. I'm just talking about as a culture, as Americans, as a community. We debate as to which one of these is best. And I'm not going to get into all that. For the most part, we respect these choices. Why do I bring it up? Because there is no indication in Scripture that... We are to delegate our responsibilities in the spiritual realm for the education of our children to anybody else. You see it right here in this passage. Parents, you know the scripture first. You know this word yourself. And then you teach it to your children This does not mean that the church doesn't have a role. We do. We do. But the fact that we have your children for 30 minutes or an hour, maybe an hour and a half or so on Sunday morning, maybe another hour or so on Sunday night, maybe on Wednesday night, the fact that we have your children two or three hours a week at best, just not in any way overcome your responsibility. You have them at home. Seven days a week, you have them all the time. And God gives that primary responsibility for the education of your children spiritually, teaching them the Word of God to the parents. It's in the home. No alternative is provided. And this is given as a command, a serious command. You shall teach them diligently. Is it important for your child to know how to read, how to write, how to perform arithmetic equations? Is it important for them to have a well-rounded education? It sure is. Is it important for your child to know the Word of God? It sure is. It surely is. Teach them. We can help you, and we do, but we can't do what you must do. 
And so parents, don't make the mistake of relying totally on the church to provide for all of your children's spiritual education. We can't. And please, uh, don't count on the internet to do it. Don't. Teach them. That's the first action word. Teach them. Second action word. Talk. Talk of them, he says. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. That is these commandments that I've given you. The word of God. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And he has several different areas where we're supposed to talk about them. This is easily understood. We need to teach them. And that teaching is pretty much one-sided communication. Right? Teach them. What do you do? Somebody teaches. Somebody listens and learns. Teacher, learner. Teacher, disciple. All kinds of words, but it all comes down to the same thing. But then he says, do more. Talk about them. This is what we call a conversation. Conversation. Man, isn't it easy to talk to your kids? It's getting tougher all the time to carry on conversation. But God mentions four areas then when the Word of God needs to be brought into conversations with your kids. Number one, he says, as you sit in your house. As you sit in your house. Now, if you're going to have a conversation with your kids while they're sitting in your house, or grandparents, if you're going to have a conversation with your grandkids while they're sitting in your house, this, of course, requires, number one, you're going to have to get their phones and tablets out of their hands for a minute. Get them away from the television then, number two, for a minute or two. And then get them in the same room where you are. Right? Oh, my goodness. This is going to be difficult. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, you know, a, a meal at a dinner table comes quickly to mind. Sitting down as a family around a table to eat food that's been cooked probably at home. I, I, I'll even fudge on that one. Stop by McDonald's and bring it home. But bring it home and set a table and sit down. And then you have everybody around for a minute. Ah, y'all are looking at me like I've got three heads, some of you. But what I'm talking about, folks, is finding a way, making a way to have godly biblical conversations with our children as a family in our house. Again, if this was just my opinion, folk, it wouldn't be worth your time. But this is in the Word of God. So he says, teach your children and then talk to your children. Talk to them about what? About the Word of God while you sit in your house. Second, while you walk in the way. Now, this speaks of our travel time. No, I don't mean this morning that in order to fulfill the scripture that we're all going to have to start walking every, everywhere we went like they did in Bible times. Uh, we don't have to do that. But we do all have travel time. And the fact that in our travel time in 20 minutes that we might be able to travel 20 miles, it really doesn't matter. It's the same 20 minutes 
whether you're walking uptown to the store or whether you're in a car and driving across uh, the, the half the county, it's the same 20 minutes. It's the same time. And in this day, Moses encouraged them then to use their travel time as you walk by the way to have godly, biblical, spiritual conversations with your kids. Same thing. You're going to have to get them to put the phones down for a little while, the tablets down. Godly, biblical conversations can happen in the car. As you lie down. Now, most biblical households uh, were, and of course, certainly were, during the time of the wilderness wandering when they stayed in tents. Uh, they were all in one location. When they lied, lay down to go to sleep, it was mom and dad and all the kids uh, on what we would call a pallet laying on the ground. Uh, some of you uh, might have experiences similar to that when you went camping. Uh, but uh, for them, it was the life they lived. And even when they got in houses, their houses were one room. And, and, and they slept most of the time in the floor so that everybody was laid out uh, all in the same room. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the old Walton show. You know, good night, Grandpa. Good night, Mary Ellen. And they were able to speak around the room a little bit. Well, in, in this case, of course, they were all in the same room. And so when they lay down at night... They could talk about God's word before they went to sleep. And then the other one makes perfect sense too. When you get up in the morning, as you rise first thing in the morning, then make time for a godly conversation, a biblical conversation about the word of God. I'm not presenting these things to you this morning with some kind of a rigid demand that we must do all of these things. Uh, remember, I raised five children, and I know how difficult it is to talk to them. We spend all that time getting them to talk, and then we wonder if they'll ever shut up. Don't wonder. They'll turn 13. And then you'll have a problem trying to pry a word out of that mouth for a while. I know what it's like. It's tough. And we have to work about it. And maybe some of them won't work every day. And, and so that I'm not going to tell you, well, every time you get in the car, uh, you've got to have a Bible, a Bible conversation or a godly conversation. But I will tell you this, it wouldn't hurt none. Especially if you're going to drive in traffic. Might set the stage a little bit. Have a prayer, maybe. Wouldn't hurt nothing. While you're traveling, before you go to bed at night, first thing in the morning. What we are going to have to do, and parents and grandparents too, is that we are going to have to make an effort to engage our kids and grandkids in conversations. If we don't, then we are surrendering. You listen to me this morning. If we don't, then we are surrendering our vital ability to influence them to all of the other influences that are out here in the world. And I'm going to tell you, they're not going to surrender their efforts to influence your kids. 
If we don't do it, others will. So we think about the influence of their peers, of social media, and the social crusaders that are everywhere these days. And we need to ask ourselves the question, you know, how many conversations are we really having with our kids and grandkids? And how many of them are of a godly nature? Teach them. Talk of them. By the way, before I leave this point, let me just tell you and encourage some of you who are still very early on kind of in the parenting business and you've got young kids. Uh, the time to establish that habit of being able to talk scripture and talk to your kids is when they're little. It's a lot harder to do it when they're teenagers. Now, when they're teenagers, when we're going to start feeling the need acutely. Oh, man, I've got to straighten this kid out. This kid is going crazy. What am I going to do with that? I've got, I got to put the Bible in you. Well, sit down here. I'm going to. Um, if you're wondering why it didn't go well, it's because we didn't create that habit, if you will. We didn't put that structure in place when they were little of getting them up in the morning and having a prayer with them, putting them in bed at night, having a prayer with them of encouraging them then to bring their questions to you so that you can answer them and answer them with the Word of God. Teach them. Talk of them. Third uh, word was bind them. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now he's not talking about tying up your kids and making them listen. It's not what it was. He's talking about binding them as a sign on your hand and, and around your head. Now the Jews took this literally, Orthodox Jews to this day still will walk around some of them with a box on their head. It's wrapped then by wrapping usually in black. It's around their head. It goes over their shoulders, around their arms and then ties off on their wrists. They have taken it seriously. They have Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. They have it in a box. They bound it on their head and around their hands. And uh, this is an orthodox position by some sects of Judaism even to this day. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with wearing bracelets with scriptures on them or necklaces with scriptures on them. But I think this morning we need to follow Moses' progression in the message. We hide the word where? In our hearts. In our hearts. We talk about them. Uh, so that we are teaching them to our children. Then we're talking about them. But as he does, he talks about our heads and our hands. Our heads and our hands. Now the symbolic connection of those two should be obvious to us. Uh, the heart in the Hebrew theology spoke of their will. That's the place where decisions are made. And so he has the will covered because the word of God is hidden in my heart so that I can make good choices and make good decisions. Where the will, but then the mind is there as well. Their intellect so that they would think on the word of God and then their hands, their actions then would be governed by the word of God. We can play this out in a lot of ways, but here's a simple one. The Bible says for us to give, for example. We can think about that. We can read it. We can consider it intellectually. But then our hands have to reach into our pockets 
or at least touch the keys of a keyboard in order to make it happen. We can think about it. God told me to do this, but then we have to put it into practice. We do it. And so Moses, I think, is giving us a a great, great instruction here about binding the Word of God in our head and to our hands so that what we think about and what we do is going to be governed by the Word of God. And last but not least, he tells us to write them. And that is to display them. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Write what? Write the truth of Scripture. Write the Word of God on the doors of your house and on your gates. Now again, there are Orthodox Jews who to this day take this very literally. And so Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 is found in a little box on their doorposts and on the gates of their houses. Some years ago when I first started in ministry, I remember visiting uh, a church member in the Levi Hospital in Hot Springs. And uh, my pastor, who I was with at the time, pointed out that there was a little box on the doorpost as we went into the room. And he told me what that was. And he said that little box has uh, the scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. Now, I have no idea if the hospital still has inpatient care or if they still have the little boxes. But I do know they did then. Many Jews took that very literally and still do to this day. There is nothing wrong with putting a box on your doorpost that contains the Word of God. But for us, it goes a little further. If we are writing it on our door and on our gates, that means that it is put there and displayed as a constant reminder to us as we are going out that we are governed by the Word of God. And as we come in, we're coming into a place that is dedicated to and governed by The Word of God. We put it out on our gates so that even those who pass by can see. This is a place that is dedicated to God. And so we could ask this morning, are are there Bibles prominently displayed around your house? That's a good thing. Do you have scripture verses on your walls that are easily read and easily seen? So that anybody who walks in your house will know that they have walked into a house of a family that believes the word of God. So that your children can constantly be reminded that they're in a house that believes the word of God. And when you begin to put the scripture on display, you may quickly find yourself running into opposition in our culture. I, uh, every year when we go to camp, I get a, a t-shirt. And, and if you're going to camp this year and you sign up in time, you'll get a t-shirt. And uh, they always have a camp theme. A couple of years ago, our camp theme put the name of God written in Hebrew, Jehovah, uh, right to left on a, on a t-shirt. And I still wear that from time to time. And uh, it almost never fails. If I wear that out in public, somebody will comment on it. Um, Some comment encouragingly. They're very glad to see it. Isn't that the name of God? Yes. Others uh, recognize the Hebrew, and that's as far as they get. And they speak critically. Some are even hostile. I know that some of you are forbidden by company policy to wear any kind of Christian 
uh, anything, anything relating to the Bible, any kind of a Christian message on it, you're forbidden by company policy to wear it. I know that. I know that. So when he talks about then writing the Word of God and putting it on display in our homes, I think we can apply it this way. We need to think about how we can make our homes obviously Christian. Christian. So that even somebody who drives by can recognize who we belong to. Now the Razorbacks have a place. Your favorite sports team. They have a place. You don't mind identifying with them. I understand. Put your Razorback in your yard if you want to. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Bible doesn't forbid that. That's great. If you're some professional football team fan, baseball team fan, you like the Cardinals, whoever, that's great. Put it out there. But maybe we all, and I say we because I thought about it myself this week, maybe there's also a place for us putting the Word of God out there. A Bible verse. A cross. Something so that people would know, as even as they drive by. And when I drive out of my house, when I drive out of the yard, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making a point that somebody knows that I have allegiance to the King of Kings. So that, yeah, I might be a Razorback fan, and yeah, I may be something else kind of fan, but I'm telling you what. I support the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I want everybody to know. And I want my children to know. Now we'll stop there this morning for what we have. As Moses has told us, you need to put this word, these truths that I'm giving you. You need to put the word of God. You need to put the scripture in your own heart. And then you need to teach them diligently to your children. You talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Um, you bind it, bind it as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You write them. And so we go back then to where we started. Uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy 6.20, which we'll get to next week, when your son asks you, when your son asks you in time to come. Uh, you see, Moses presupposes that you will ask. We'll talk about this more next week, but I want to make the point in case some of you kids aren't here Let's just understand, children, that part of the responsibility, in fact, a big part of the responsibility of you learning biblical truth rests on you. 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 You, kids. Ask. Ask who? Ask your father. Ask your parents. It starts there. 
Seek out, then, the truth of God. And in a culture where you value so much the opinions of your friends and the thoughts of your friends, and you've grown up all of your life thinking about Google, I I just want to remind you of what the Bible says. God put conversation in our ability for a reason. He gave us that marvelous thing in our throat called an epiglottis. And I think I said that right. If I didn't, just forgive me. I'm talking about that little flap of skin that lets you close off your airway so you can eat and talk at the same time. It's an amazing thing. And I know it always gets messed up a little bit, especially with cornbread and rice. You know, those are two things I always get going down the wrong way. have to be real careful. But you see, God has created us with this amazing ability to talk, to converse. And young people, I'm afraid we're giving way too much of it away to this. Texting ain't the same. God wants us to talk. And he tells us. And especially with your family, especially in our households, talk, talk. To one another. So that when you have a question, ask your mama, ask your dad. If they don't know the answer, pick up the phone and call me. I may not know the answer either, but I might be able to point you in the right direction. This isn't just an Old Testament concept. First Peter 3:15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. And there's no doubt in my mind that Simon Peter had at least in part what Moses taught us here. In mind in 1 Peter chapter 3. Be ready to give an answer to everybody. But especially those who are of your own household. Be ready. Be ready to give an answer.